Hello, and welcome to the We're Not Stump podcast. I'm your host, Mike Boland, and I'm a congenital amputee of the right hand. In this show, I will interview other amputees and allow them to tell you their incredible life stories. I'll also feature family members of amputees and others who support the amputee community, all in an effort to discuss the challenges and triumphs of those living with limb loss. So stick around and listen to inspirational stories and find out why we say we're not stumped. Well, hello, everyone. Welcome to the We're Not Stumped podcast. I'm Mike Bolin, your host. And today I got Linda Calabria on, and she works for Brain Robotics, really a strong background in marketing and really an interesting story. So first of all, Linda, thank you for being on the We're Not Stumped podcast. Sure. No, I'm very excited to be on. Thank you, Mike. Well, I'll tell you, there's a lot of exciting things and that you have in store for Brain Robotics and what you're doing there. But I'd like to go back and talk about like the Linda story and where you started. I know you're heavily into marketing and then kind of maybe found your calling with prosthetics and how you market that. You mind talking about that a little bit? Yeah, it's, um, you know, I kind of, uh, when I have similar conversations with, we have one of our sister companies is Neuromaker STEM and it's essentially their hand is a prototype of our prosthetic hand. And so they're able to have these deeper conversations with students. And so we have, uh, a couple of times that I've been on with those guys is they ask you to talk about like, well, what's your STEM story? And I always think back and I'm like, well, what? I, I don't have a STEM story. I never wanted to be an engineer or a mathematician. Uh, my brain does not work that way. I've always wanted to tell stories, but here I am working with engineers and software people and, you know, all these people that are far more smart than I am in a variety of different ways and ultimately, it just comes down to you being able to have a conversation with somebody. And so when I got out of school, I went down the product marketing route. Um, and I've worked in a variety of different industries, luggage, um, Samsonite, uh, a car theft recovery. I've worked for um, industrial furniture manufacturers, things like that, that just nothing really goes together. So every time I would have an interview, I'd say, well, this is a new to me industry, uh, but every single job has been just that. I have to get in there and figure out how to swim. And that's the best way that I've always learned. Um, and I've been lucky that people have given me an opportunity to learn to swim in these different roles. And so when I stumbled into prosthetics, I had been unemployed for like 12 months or so. Um, and thankfully the folks that I was working with at touch bionics or interviewing with, I should say, just kind of saw the need for, okay, this person doesn't need to be a guru in prosthetics. They just need to be willing to put in the work and figure things out. And I was a team of one for our U S operations at touch bionics. Um, and I had a colleague in Germany, um, and she oversaw all of, uh, the global, uh, operations and we just worked together and figured things out and in the first week I had to make sure that we didn't miss an ad deadline and so it was all it was all you know I jumped right into the pool and had to make some initial mistakes and figure out where to go from there and then you know uh, the OSER acquisition happened shortly thereafter and knowing most of the time in these large organizations marketing is the first to go so being not wanting to leave the role that I was in or the organization or this new to me industry of prosthetics, uh, I spoke to 
my now former great colleagues at OSER and I said, well, hey, I don't think you have anybody for upper limb prosthetics from a product perspective. And now that I've been here for a whole six months, I'm an expert. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And so long story short, they gave me the opportunity to stay on as the product marketing lead for OSER. Um, And so I did everything from content creation and branding and making sure that the marketers at the OSER headquarters in California really knew how to talk about our products because you can be a great marketer, but in my mind, in order to do that, you have to understand the product, how it serves the user, who is it for, what are, what are the functionalities and benefits and not just the glossy stuff. Um, so I would provide all of that to our great marketeers there. Um, and so now it's been seven plus years that I've been in prosthetics, upper wow. limb specifically with touch bionics, OSER, and now with brain robotics. And now I'm wearing an even uh, larger hat of product <laughs> and marketing and branding and regulatory and quality and safety and engineering and all of that um, stuff. So it's it's been a it's been a growing uh just wearer of many hats type of uh, path, I guess. Yeah. Um, but it's it's definitely been an eye-opening one in an industry that I, I'm trying to dig my heels into and not leave anytime soon. Well, that's so. great. That's, that's fantastic. And, you know, I, when I looked at Brain Robotics and I looked at the website, there's a lot of great things that are, are going on, a good vision. Mm. Can you kind of describe the company and, and what you're working towards? Sure. Um, when I joined uh, in August of 2020, we were at that time, uh, I was brought on to help bring our prosthetic hand to the market. And so in in the O&P industry, from the manufacturing side of things, you kind of look at, there's the terminal devices, which are the hands themselves or the devices, what have you. And then there's everything that happens in the socket, electrodes, power, all of that sort of stuff. Huh. And so when I was brought on, we had what was called a closed loop system. So it's it's a hand and it has to work with the electrodes that are provided. In our case, the electrodes wouldn't work with any other terminal device. So if you had a B-Bionic, you would, have, you would need a whole other socket system. Um, and so in the last couple of years, we've unbundled that because it just, it did not make sense for the U.S. market. It was a product that was developed overseas and it just it wouldn't fit. We wouldn't be able to provide this to as many people as we wanted to. And the goal has always been to offer affordable, functional prosthetics to more individuals, because unfortunately these devices are not inexpensive. Yeah. Um, and so our goal has been the opposite. We just, if we could, we'd give it away. Um, and it, it just would not allow us to serve as many people as we wanted to. So in the last couple of years, we brought on a fantastic um, contract manufacturing and engineering team out of Europe. Um, and they really helped us, A, unbundle all of that. So we're, we really focused on the terminal device. And essentially, the shell of the car, if you will, is the same. Okay. But the guts and the internal components are completely revamped to make sure that it's a functional device it's easy to use. All the software has been updated. So it's been a real uh, eye-opening experience um, and not a not a quick, short win. Um, but it's 
once we're ready to really get out there by the end of this quarter, early Q3 of uh, this year, 2023, we really feel like we will be offering a robust, um, durable product, functional product to users and make it really easy to use because it's it, it can be very cumbersome um, and make it easy out of the box so you don't have to think about, oh my God, well, which of the 35 grips do I want to use today? Because <laughs> you may only want to do three or four ever. Um, and so it's it's been a huge learning process for the organization, for myself. Um, so there's there's a lot to consider when trying to launch a medical device. Well, I, I think it's fantastic that you're taking the time, you and your organization, to figure this out. You're not rushing to market. You're you're not thinking no. about anything but the end user. And in this industry, I think it's extremely important and commendable. So thank you for doing oh. that. One yeah. of the things I noticed on the website, and being a congenital, we talked a little earlier. I got a few yeah. years experience, but I don't know. You, you know more about this industry than I ever knew. And one of the things that I saw on the website, and you kind of mentioned it, were apps. And I don't... Mm-hmm. I don't understand why there is a need for apps. And I don't mean, I'm not saying there isn't. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I just, I'd love to understand that, why there's a phone app for a prosthetic. Sure. No, and I think um, you bring up a good point because they're, the way that I was taught when I got into this industry is that a potential user essentially has a number of options when it comes to prosthetics. It could be no prosthetic because mm-hmm. they either choose to not have a prosthesis or they're unfortunately not allowed to have one due to insurance. Yeah. Um, they may want to go the myoelectric route, so there are electrodes in the socket. They may go the body-powered route, or they may go a passive route, which is more of an aesthetically pleasing device Okay. Um, that really allows you to m- mainly push or pull things. Um, but it it looks more like your sound limb, Okay. Um, but is not as articulating as something else might be. Um, so it's, uh, you know, there, there's a, a number of different ways to go with this. And so for every user, it's a different path and not every tool is going to be the right one. And so for somebody that's congenital, A, they may think, well, what? Like, A, I don't need anything. I'm fine the way that I am because you've grown to adapt and find ways to do things. Mm-hmm. And what we've, what I've come across oftentimes as well is that somebody that is congenital, maybe by their 20s or so, start to see that they've been compensating a lot with their sound side. Yeah. And so they're starting to get arthritis. And so now they want to try to figure out, okay, well, what device do I need to be able to maybe go about some things in an easier fashion? It may not be the most intuitive to you because it just is not the way that you've been doing things. <laughs> um, but the apps are there really to allow the user to have the control that they want okay. and need. You don't have to touch it ever if you don't want to. It's just there if you want to take the grip or you want to see maybe my pinky finger isn't moving. Well, let me do a quick uh, oh, run through of the hand yeah. and have okay. all the digits open. Oh, it does look like something's up. Let me call my prosthetist because yeah. my prosthetist may be 200 miles away, so I can't just go up, you know, and show up at his doorstep. So it's really just to see settings if you want to. It's for you to make changes to the controls and really get a feel for what may be going on. If you never want to open the dang thing, <laughs> you don't have to. We can well, live in your 
you know, in your desk drawer if you want to. Well, it makes a lot more sense now. And I was even thinking as you were talking, it's like it, maybe you can get an alert to say the battery is getting low or something like that. I, I, I wouldn't know. Yeah, all of that. Yeah. Yeah. And obviously that... for the clinician, they have to set all that up for you to okay. make sure that from their standpoint, the app is critical because they want to make sure that the electrodes are working properly, that when you're firing your opens and your closes in your hand, that you're not overexerting yourself. Yes. Or that you're not dropping things because you're relaxing, but the myographs and the electrodes that are in the socket are saying, well, I don't know what Mike's doing, so I'm just going to let go. Yeah. When really you're just trying to relax so you're not constantly flexing around a cup that you're just trying to hold on to. Yeah. There's, that... yeah, there's so many nuances to think through. Well, that is a really good use case for, for collecting data to make it better, to, to improve yes. it. That's That's a... Very mm -hmm. good point. And by the way, you, you pretty much described me being my age and always using my left hand. I definitely have some overuse issues on mm -hmm. that side of my body. So there's definitely a, a need for this. And I, it doesn't get lost upon me, even though it, I currently don't wear a prosthetic, but that does sure. not get lost on me. It definitely is something that is very needed and very important. So I think it's great what everyone's doing at Brain Robotics. One of the things we talked about before we got on, on camera, mm -hmm. you were talking about the marketing aspect of it and having basically three different markets to market yeah. to. And I just right. found that to be a fascinating perspective. Do you mind describing that a little bit? Yeah, and I always, I did not know this going into this industry, obviously, but I think, I guess, you could kind of, you could probably peel back the onion on a lot of different industries in this way, um, whether it be B2B or B2C. Um, but in our case, it really comes down to three main audiences, which is the user themselves. And so how do you make that device functional? How do you make it easy to use? And then how do you inform those folks about this new product so that they are coming to their clinician and saying, hey, I saw something about this brain robotics hand. Can you tell me more about it? Can I get a demo? Because a lot a lot has been shifting in the industry towards that as well. When I started in 2016, there were, it was touch bionics in the islands and it was be bionic and Michelangelo to some degree in terms of multi-articulating, meaning all the digits move oh. uh, devices. Now you throw a stone and there's a new, you know, startup popping up saying we've got the best thing. So in that time, Tasca came into play in the last seven years, and they really did a stand-up job of showcasing exactly how their waterproof prosthetic device is going to change the lives of a user. And they showed simple things. They didn't show the hand, you know, doing anything extraordinary that a person in their daily life wouldn't be doing. And when we talk about marketing and O&P, we talk about ADLs a lot, so activities of daily living. And they showed people using their hand and washing dishes. And everyone went, holy cannoli. Well, our hand can't do that. And so users that are now a lot more internet savvy, their families, especially if you're a, after a trauma, because that's sure. how a lot of limb loss happens in upper limb, families are doing a lot of internet research. So you want, as a manufacturer, for that user or that family or whoever to find you and be able to come to their clinician. And that's what started happening after Tasca came out. 
And so a lot more manufacturers are starting to tell those stories and trying to tap into the users themselves and say, hey, ask about our hand. It's better. Or, it, you know, it'll answer this need. Because at the end of the day, again, like we talked about, there's different tools. Yeah. This hand, this waterproof hand is not going to allow you to do everything. You may need a different device to do, to go fishing, to, you know, what have you. And so that's one audience. Then you've got your clinician who, yes, they care about the functionality, but they also care about the user themselves. And also they care about, well, am I going to be able to keep the lights on after fitting somebody with this device? So A, is it easy for me to fit it? How complicated is it for the user to use it? Is it durable? Is it constantly going to be breaking? And is the user going to have a terrible experience and then blame me, the clinician, and say, what did you put on me? This thing sucks. (laughs) And then how much is it going to cost me out of pocket? And what codes have been uh, determined that are okay and approved to use with this device? Am I going to make enough of a margin after I fit this in terms of reimbursement to be able to keep the lights on in my facility? And then from a payer perspective, so that's the third uh, audience, is they look at this device and say, okay, but how is a multi-articulating hand better than a hook? And why do I have to pay $30,000 more? And so there's these, you know, I worked with some incredible people back in my touch and OSER days who reimbursement managers, that was all that they lived and breathed is that they worked with these payers and said, well, here, and and with clinicians and said, here's a letter of medical necessity and how we would write it so that you get reimbursed for this device. And here is why it's better than some of the competitors that are in our space. And here's why it's better than a body powered device. And here's what you want. Here's the story that you want to tell and the things you want to answer by insurance because every even Blue Cross Blue Shield across the country is different in how all of their, you know, everything is worded by hmm. state, sometimes by county, what have you, wow. by insurance level. And so somebody has to be responsible and understand all of that lingo to say, okay, but all they're really pushing back on in this case is figuring out, you know, are you going to get it wet? If the answer is yes or no, they'll probably let it go. But unfortunately, in some cases, a lot of users just have to be their own advocate and then have to do crazy things like go on TV to be able to get a hand and say, hey, why why can't I live in this two-handed world with two hands when everybody else around me has them? So how do I, as a marketer, then educate all these three audiences? The user ultimately is the simplest, right? You just got to make sure that you hit on the things that the user wants to be able to do. The clinician just wants to make sure that they're not going to look bad fitting this thing and that they're going to be able to pay their bills and look good as a practice and maybe even grow. And that they also know that they have your support as a manufacturer to be able to fit these devices because they may not be well-versed in upper limb and the payer just wants to know where the money is. And so you're not going to market to all of them all at once. You're not going to market to them in one specific way. You're going to do it in different ways and different times. And maybe sometimes it's just through conversations um, and it not, you know, glitzy stuff on social media. Uh, but it, it all has to be thought through because they all care about completely different things. And just because you talk to Joe in Kentucky from Blue Cross, 
doesn't mean he's going to talk to Becky in, you know, Illinois and say, these guys have it made. You should yeah. fit them every time that they come through. Becky doesn't care. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that makes a lot of sense. And you, you had brought something up, and I, I, I read uh, a blog post that you wrote recently, and I believe it, it may have been on LinkedIn, but let me read it. Yeah. This was uh, in March you wrote this. Uh, limb loss and limb difference month is coming up. As we all know, self-advocation, as you just talked about, is a huge part of patients getting the tools and devices they need. Why not talk about how you can advocate for your patients or share a tip that has worked or better yet, get a testimonial or video on, on or in a quote. I think that was very good that you're sharing that part, the self-advocation, not only for the people that you work with in your industry, but any anyone else that may stumble across, as you said, you never know who might be listening and who needs that extra push. Mm-hmm. And I think that was very good, well, well way to say, very good way to say, excuse me. Anything yeah. else you'd like to yeah, share on that? Yeah, it's, you know, it, like I said earlier, it's a, uh, it's an unfortunate need. Um, it's crazy to think that in this day and time, and it's not like these prosthetic devices, even the multi-articulating hands that we are working on launching at Brain Robotics have been around for five years. They've been around for decades. It's not anything that's new. It's not a, it's not a nice to have. Um, but unfortunately, and, and we all pay into our insurance monthly and it's not like we're just throwing 25 bucks into a pot. It's a lot of money. And so even when you read through a lot of the insurance paperwork, it might say that prosthetics are approved and you think, okay, great. If something happens, I'll be okay. But if you keep reading in that down a couple of paragraphs, it'll say, but we will look towards the least expensive option because they don't want to pay for it. Yeah. And it's almost this double-edged or multiple-edged sword because you've got the manufacturers who are setting the prices, right? And so one might say, well, it is insane to charge 30 grand for a device and expect that insurance is going to, or the clinician is going to bill out 60 plus uh, for that device. Cause it's not just the, the device itself. They also have to make sockets, a couple mm-hmm. of them at least. They also have to, they need all of the uh, parts and pieces that will go along with it. They need the electrodes. They need the supplies to make the sockets. It takes time. And the clinician is only reimbursed one time. And so the user may come to them in January when they're finally ready to go through this process, but they may not get fit until May, June, but the clinician only sees one paycheck throughout that whole time. It's not, Hmm. you know, it's not like they're every time that you come in, your clinician's going to see, is going to be able to reimburse for time. So it's all these nuances that are overlooked and too often the user themselves has to advocate for their own needs. I mean, I had somebody that I worked was an ambassador for us um, at OSER, um, Ashley Young. You can see, find her on uh, Instagram, wonderful lady, congenital. Um, She was fit with her first prosthesis when she was a baby and she just put it in her doll box and never looked at it again. Didn't want to use it. She went about life without a prosthetic 
but as we talked about earlier, started to see and feel a lot of compensatory issues, arthritis, things like that. And so she went through two, if not three rounds of denials um, to get her prosthesis. And the last thing that pushed things over the edge was she asked for a meeting with her insurance provider. She was in Florida and sat down in a room full of two-handed people (laughs) and said, who here has one hand? Obviously, nobody else raised theirs. And she said, okay, so why can't I have what you guys have? A week or so later, her denial was overturned and she was able to get her prosthesis. That's fantastic And it's just, it's, it's insanity. It, it, it always gives me goosebumps. Yeah. But this is what, you know, this is why you'll hear stories on the news about somebody fighting for needing a prosthesis. And they've gone through a tremendous amount of trauma, likely, to even get to the point of having these conversations. And so... My point with that post is it's unfortunate that we have to do these things, but especially from a from a user perspective, but also from a clinic perspective, if there are things that you are doing, let's talk about those. Because it just, you know, as we open this whole conversation, the the point you made about as somebody that is living life as a one-handed person, you don't think about all these things. Yeah. Me, I'm constantly living and breathing. I'm like, okay, well, how am I going to, you know, how will I make this point clear? And without having these conversations, nobody knows about the ins and outs. Whereas we're, you know, we're just programmed to, well, I know that this competitor can do that and his hand can do this and all these different things. Um, And it's just, there's not a big enough conversation. And from a clinic perspective, they oftentimes also don't have the means to have those conversations. And I've come across that many times. And perhaps the simplest thing that the clinic needs is just somebody to be there as a sounding board and say, well, Mm. let's just, you know, at a minimum, let's swap these images because they're like five years old and this is not what we're making anymore. And they don't, you know, you go about your day and as a clinician, you're thinking about your patients. You're thinking about how you're going to pay your staff. You're thinking about if the sockets, if you have a fabrication lab on site, if those are being well made insurance your what the unfortunate reality is that a clinician is not just somebody that sees patients they have to especially if you're an owner you have to run the entire operation and it's not what you go to school for yeah you go to school for making sure that you have a well-fitting socket for your user and they can use the terminal device you don't go to school for business and finance um and it's a lot of what I'm learning through this ONP certificate program through AOPA is that they cover all of that. It's finance, it's marketing, it's all these different things that I kind of take for granted because I think about it all the time, but it is making me think about it in different ways. Um, and it's just, you know, I want to, I don't want to just help the users, which are an important uh, aspect of those three prongs that we talked about earlier, but the clinicians, also need some support to be able to get yeah. their names out there so that you might know that, oh, now there is somebody down the street. I had no clue. Yeah. I drive by plenty of O&P facilities in my day. I never hear about most of them. So mm-hmm. how do we educate the masses and just say, there is this need and here's what everybody offers and here's what how they can help. Um, so it's, it's part of that uh, 
one of those uh, customer avenues, right? The yeah. clinician is very important in this. So how do we how do we advocate for them? How do we advocate for the user? Um, and sometimes we have to advocate for the payer and just educate them um, in terms of what's necessary and why. So it's. It's it seems like <laughs> it certainly doesn't sound like it. It seems like they're all links in a chain that are all equally important. If Completely. any of those links break, it, it, it just will make the other two suffer. So yes. it's great that you're doing what you're doing. And you're also doing things that bring people together. I saw on LinkedIn and on YouTube where you did a recent <laughs> video where you brought in some physicians, I believe three of them. Yes. That was fantastic. I'm going to have a link to that in the description here. And then also yeah. and we're recording this, I believe today is April 10th on the 14th yes. of 2023. You're bringing a bunch of people like myself yes. into mm -hmm. a conversation, and I'm going to make sure that this video is out before that. So if people want to oh, sign awesome. up, I'll, I'll have a link to that. But can you just uh, both of them? I, I I found it fascinating when you're talking to the physicians, and then talk about maybe what the the vision is for what you're going to be doing on Friday. Sure. Yeah. No. The, the vision along all along has been how do we, and I think more manufacturers could do this is how do we create this community because it's a very small, it's a very small industry when you really get to the bottom of it, everybody knows everybody. Um, and so I wanted to make sure that brain robotics was that open book and brought people together because when I got into things and I would go to these large trade shows, I think, Oh my God, do I need to buy ads? Do I I want to see what they're doing, but I don't want anybody to know that I'm from those guys so that they're more open about it. And at the end of the day, and again, like we talked about earlier, there is no one size fits all option or tool. And so I'm trying to have these open conversations and to some, it may seem kind of crazy to, as a manufacturer ourselves, to bring in other manufacturers and just have this open dialogue and say, well, what are you good at? And how are you going to market this? But at the end of the day, we're all after the same things. We want to provide a tool to the greater user population and make them aware of everything that is available. Yeah. And so it started with the manufacturers forum uh, last year after last year's AOPA. Um, and then, like you said, I had three upper limb specialists on yeah. uh, earlier this year prosthetics upper limb prosthetics socket fit and it's again it's another area that has to be focused on because if you don't have a well-fitting socket then all of the blame is going to go on that device hmm. being the hand because no user is going to think oh my socket sucks let yeah. me see if something can be done about that um so I wanted to talk through and again, have this open forum of let's have these three upper limb specialists talk about what is it that they're, what do they look for? How do they work with a user and how do they make sure that at the end of the day, their job is done right. And that the user is able to use that terminal device as often as they want to. Um, and so it's kind of, you know, all of these webinars have kind of spun out from themselves um, and we had one with Coapt, which is a yeah. whole other organization that allows a user to have pattern recognition and even easier use of their devices. And so on the 14th, as part of limb loss and limb awareness, uh, limb difference awareness month, we're going to be talking to uh, 
somebody that is congenital. Mm-hmm. We're going to have uh, two folks that have lost their hands, one due to um, electrocution, one due to cancer, and we have one person that has uh, missing digits on one of their hands due to a work accident. So kind of like what we, you and I talked about earlier, yeah. what are these different walks of life? And not to be labor like, you know, what happened to you and why there there's reasons for all of it. There are no reasons for some. And how do you, what is your perspective on this whole thing? And what do you see as a benefit? What matters? What doesn't matter? What are all the whiz bang things that us manufacturers developing that you're saying, okay, that's nice, but it would be greater if, and to your question, like, why do I need an app? Shouldn't it just work? Um, so I want to kind of, I, I want to give the talk the time that it is it, that we need so that we can cover all these different conversations and topics so that those that maybe have somebody that is born limb different and they don't know, well, what is the future going to bring? Am I going to be okay? Richard's going to talk a lot about, well, hey, I'm on a basketball team. I've been playing basketball for forever. And for those that may go through a trauma, you're going to be okay. But here are some hurdles that you may have to jump through. But here are some devices and options that you should have in the back of your mind. And here are some questions that maybe I, as a user now, wish somebody would have told me to ask. So we just want to, again, have this open dialogue um, and cover a variety of different topics and just educate, just answer questions. Um, so we definitely welcome as many people as possible to chime in, listen, ask questions, um, and join us. Just for yeah, a I'm really, friendly I'm looking chat. For, I'm looking forward to being one of the people to listen in on that. I mean, I'm really excited about that. And it's this Friday, I believe it's, was it 1 it's o'clock? It's 1.30 Eastern. Um, so whatever that ends up being. Wherever you're in at. Your neck of the woods, yeah. <laughs> as they say, in your neck of the woods. Here in Arizona, we don't change our, our clock, so it's always... Right. It's always one of those fun things that we we have to figure out. It's either two hours, three hours, or LA is one hour is the same time. A lot oh, of fun it depends stuff on the time of the year, right? <laughs> yes, exactly. You know, one thing I, I'll end on this. I, I really like what you you wrote a little earlier. So you have a broad experience with marketing in general, but in 2017 you had the opportunity to join that company as you described. Mm-hmm. You fast forward to today in Brain Robotics, and I, one thing that you had written, prosthetics has brought a whole new meaning to my marketing career. And I just, when I read that, I was like, wow, that's a very powerful statement. Do you mind, can you expand on that a little bit? That's a great statement. Yeah, I mean, on the one hand, it's uh, it's been a great challenge, right? Because as we talked about earlier, there are all these different nuances to think about. And it's not just, okay, well, can I make great video or can I make some, a witty post? Yeah. Um, it really has to, make somebody pause whatever that piece of content is and really resonate. And what is that feeling that we're going after that we want to evoke? And it's not just about, okay, well, is this toolbox going to make my workshop better and save me money by being able to access tools quicker? It To some degree, it is about that because at the end of the day, that user, that clinician, or that payer wants to know, well, what's it in it for me? And what do I get out of this thing? Because there are other options. But at the same time, it also has to be about 
does this manufacturer truly understand me? And what is it that they're going to offer on a wholehearted basis? And that's part of why I wanted to start doing these webinars for Brain Robotics is that our goal is not just to be able to fit however many hands we can on as many people as possible. It's also about making that user, that clinician, that payer understand that we are thinking about this holistically. We're not just thinking about, we want to sell 500 hands. We're going to sell thousands of these things. They're going to fly out the door. It's going to be fantastic. We're really thinking strategically about, okay, well, the, the product is one piece of that story, but how do we make sure that we educate the clinician? How do we make sure that we are really thinking through things in terms of making it a seamless experience so that the insurance company also feels like they're not just getting bamboozled and, mm -hmm. you know, getting a run for their money. No, we're, we're truly thinking through things as a whole and that clinician is not going to come back to them and say, "Ugh, you know, this was a bad choice. So it's really telling a full story making sure that we're hearing the audience and it's not about whiz bang marketing by any means. It gets eyeballs hundred percent, but those that are in the industry or those that are needing these devices are going to see through that and say, okay, that's fantastic. But like, so what? So it's, it's definitely been eye opening. Um, like I said, challenging in a lot of ways, but challenge is great Yeah, because we'd all be bored um, if everything was easy. Everybody yes. would be doing it if it was easy. Yeah. Uh, but it's, it's, and at the end of the day, it's so rewarding mm. because you're able to, even if we don't fit our hand on you, hopefully we've helped you in some other way. Hopefully we've educated through yeah. you through whatever, video or document that we might have that maybe another manufacturer may not supply that you're learning more about the process that you're learning more about all the different nuances and maybe you're just getting more you know you know that somebody's there behind you rallying and saying just go for it so if nothing else we want to be able to help out in a number of different ways even if it's not with the device itself because it may not be the right tool well, I'll tell you, I, I feel in talking to you and, and learning more about your organization, even reading about it myself, it, it seems like your mission and vision are in the right area, in the right direction, because your heart is in the right area and your philosophies align with what the way a, a prosthetic company should think. And I thank you for that. I think that's fantastic. Yeah, no, it's it's definitely, it's an absolute passion. And I think, as I said earlier, I've really kind of dug my heels in and I want to I'd like to stay here for as long as possible um, in this industry and just in it, whatever, in whatever form that looks like. Um, and as I mentioned earlier, I'm trying to go through the SONP certification program so I can yeah. really understand yeah. and add different value to whatever that conversation is. And again, be that wear of multiple hats and have different honest and open and educated conversations with a variety of different audiences um, because they all matter. Um, and it's just, uh, it's a small industry. So you have to make sure that you're doing things properly. Um, because if you're not, there's like five other people right behind you. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, so I want to be one of those people that truly care and, uh, myself 
that I am also thinking about things wholeheartedly and in a holistic way in addressing the variety of needs. It's not just about one of those customers. It's about all of them. And there's so much, so much work that still has to be done on so many different levels. Um, and it's not, it's not a one, one person or one week job. It, there's been a lot of effort put in by a lot of different people for years to be able to educate um, pay so, payer sources and Congress and all these different things. And it's just an ongoing effort um, to try to allow more people to live their full lives and complete their activities of daily living and go hiking and go for a run because that's not, I know we've been talking about hands, but a lot of insurance providers don't think that somebody that is missing a leg needs a running blade. Who cares? You know, that's, that's a nice to have. No, there's, you know, there are lots of organizations like Levitate that are trying to go to the consumer as well and say, Hey, this is available to you. We're going to make it easy. We will also work with a clinician but running should be a right. You shouldn't have to jump through hoops. Um, so there's there's just so many conversations that are starting to happen, and so many more that still need to. So it's been it's been educational an educational journey, but it can't stop here. Well, you educated me today. I've learned a lot just from talking to you, and I appreciate you coming on the podcast because as people go through their own journeys, and as you said, whether it be upper limb or lower limb they don't know where to start at times and right. having this conversation available and having people like you willing to come on and have those conversations is extremely important. And I can't thank you enough for being on the oh, We're Not sure. Stop podcast and just, uh, I'm going to have all the links in the description, but mm -hmm. in case people just happen to be listening, it's brainrobotics.com, correct? Yes. Yep. Brainrobotics.com. You can find us on Instagram. You can find all of our great webinars on LinkedIn. Uh, they're also on YouTube. So whatever, Whatever fits your needs, hopefully we're there. And, and they're all <laughs> linked from... Hopefully I've thought through it. <laughs> and I know you're going to do more of those kind of town halls yes. in the future. Mm -hmm. So if you happen to miss the one on this Friday, there's going to be more, I'm sure, in the future. Oh, yes. And that's going to be the fun part. So, Linda, thank you so much for taking the time to be on the We're Not Stop podcast. It means a lot to me. No, thank you, Mike. This has been fantastic. I'm glad we were able to talk about all these different topics. Hosted by Mike Bowler. If you want to be a guest on the program, reach out to Mike at his email address, mike at mikebolin.com. This podcast is produced by One Hand Man Productions. If you are looking to start your podcast, go to onehandmanproductions.com.